Let us listen for God's word to us. A reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. God's various gifts are handed out everywhere, but they all originate in God's spirit. God's various ministries are carried out everywhere, but they all originate in God's spirit. God's various expressions of power are in action everywhere, but God himself is behind it all. Each person is given something to do that shows who God is. Everyone gets in on it, everyone benefits. All kinds of things are handed out by the Spirit and to all kinds of people. The variety is wonderful. All these gifts have a common origin, but are handed out one by one by the one Spirit of God. He decides who gets what and when. You can easily enough see how kind, how this kind of thing works by looking no further than your own body. Your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells, and many other parts. Your body has, no matter how, how many parts your body has, it's still one body. It's exactly the same with Christ. By means of his one spirit, we all said goodbye to our partial and piecemeal lives. We each used to independently call our own shots, but then we entered into a large and integrated life in which he has the final say. This is what we proclaimed in word and action when we were baptized. Each of us is now a part of his resurrection body, refreshed and sustained at one fountain, his spirit, where we all come to drink. The old labels we used to identify ourselves, labels like Jew or Greek, slave or free, are no longer useful. We need something larger and more comprehensive. I want you to think about how this all makes you more significant, not less. A body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It's all the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. <clears throat> the Gospel reading is from John chapter 15. I am the real vine, and my father is the farmer. He cuts off every branch of me that doesn't bear grapes. And every branch that is grape-bearing, he prunes back so it will bear even more. You are already pruned back by the message I have spoken. Live in me. Make your home in me just as I do in you. If, in the same way that a branch can bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. I am the vine, you are the branches. When you're joined with me I, and I with you, the relation intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. I've loved you the way my Father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep, your keep my commandments, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I've done, kept my Father's commands and made myself in ho at home in your, his love. I've told you these things for a purpose, that my joy might be your joy and your joy wholly mature. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lily and Mia and all of you young folk who have come up and helped lead our worship today. I'm very mindful that I'm really speaking especially to these nine confirmands, but also to all of us, uh, for we are all gathered here, and as the scriptures emphatically say, we're all connected one to another. 
So I was thinking about eighth grade because that's the age in which we typically are having confirmation in this church and in many churches. And so um, I recently saw this little film about eighth grade. You know, uh, most of you probably don't know this, but I really like to go to book festivals and film festivals. So I saw this little independent film. Um, It was called The Wolves Wolves of William S. Middle School. Have any of you seen that? Um, I didn't think so. Good. Um, so anyway, so it's, uh, it's about a boy named Eli, and he's got a girlfriend, girlfriend named Caitlin. And um, the, it's, uh, he, they've been dating for all of six days, and he thinks this is a long-term committed relationship now because it's been six days. And the big dance at the end of the year is coming up, <clears throat> And um, he's just assuming, you know, so he walks up to her at locker in school and, and uh, before he even gets there, she says, she says, Eli, I want you to know it's been nice, it's been wonderful, but it's over. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in the big leagues now, uh, you're, you're kind of minor leagues, and um, so uh, thanks for the memories, basically. And so Eli, Eli was like, what do you mean? We've been together for six days. But, you know, it was over, so uh, Eli has this little group of buddies, and they're all commiserating and talking about, and one guy says, you know, girls were put on this earth to make boys suffer. And so they're, they're just, you know, just talking about how we cope with this. So in the meantime, the next day at school, this little cute girl named Cynthia goes up to Eli and says, Eli, don't you want to go to the dance with me? And he was like, well, why would I want to do that, you know? And but his friends hear about it, and they say, Eli, this is your chance to, to, to make Caitlin jealous. That's how you get girls. You make them jealous. And so, so Eli went back to uh, Cynthia and said, okay, I'll go to the dance with you. So they go to the dance, and uh, when they get there, it doesn't take very long for Eli to decide he's going to um, try to make uh, Caitlin really notice him and be jealous. So he starts dancing, just wild dancing, and everyone sort of backs off and is watching him dance. And he thinks he's really, be, you know, making uh, Caitlin uh, pay attention. But in reality, he's making a fool of himself. And and he's hurt the the little girl Cynthia that it, that he was his real date. And so you know, it was a disaster. The the dance is over. You know, the, the next scene, the boys are back, you know, commiserating, talking, and, and uh, you know, the, uh, Eli has made a fool of himself. Now he, he doesn't have Cynthia, he doesn't have Caitlin, and, and, and they're, they're huddled around this outdoor fire. The weather's kind of cold, and they're huddled around, huddled around this fire pit, and the boys are talking about life and girls, and, and you know, the, this one friend of his says, you know... We don't need them. We're like wolves. We, we're like a pack. We need each other. Oh! And they all start howling around the fire. Oh! You can see why I'm not singing in the choir, right? Uh, Brian, Brian, I don't think you could. Well, anyway, we won't go into that. Um, we're not going to let Emily Hay let go of that one. But at any rate, um, so they start howling. And... Uh, and, and that's how the movie ends, with these boys just sort of clinging to each other because that's how they were going to 
survived the angst of eighth grade, which rings very true to me. Uh, I don't know how eighth grade was for you, but the texts today, both, both images in the scripture today uh, give us uh, the, the first one, the, uh, the human body, and the other one, a vine, a plant, explain to us how life is meant to live with, with a connection to each other. We do need each other, not just in eighth grade, uh, but especially in middle school. Uh, and so for Paul, it's the body of Christ is the image. And he talks about how ridiculous it would be if everyone said, well, I'm the eye and I don't need a foot. Or I'm the hand and I don't need uh, any other part of you. you know, and so th- it's that ridiculousness that helps us to see we really do all need each other. And then this beautiful image that Jesus gives us, he says, I am the vine. You know, in the other gospels, he would say, The kingdom of God is like this. It is like a farmer who plants seeds, or it is like a woman who knocks on the door, or it is like a seed that grows in the dark. The kingdom of God is like this. But in John, he says it this way. He says, I am the light. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the bread. And here, I am the vine. He's he's using a kind of Um, illustrations like parables to explain the mystery of the kingdom of God. He says, we are all connected, and I especially want you to know that I will always be connected to you, and you need to stay connected to me, and because I am the real thing. I am the real vine. So in confirmation, we have learned that we really do need each other, whether you're a body or a vine or a pack of wolves. So, you know, the confirmation has has been a difficult time this year because of the pandemic, but um, I really applaud our teachers and and kids for sticking with it. Confirmation is something that goes way, way back. It wasn't always called that. But there's always been this idea that when a person is baptized, then there's this like laying on of hands or unction, which was to uh, kind of confirm the presence of God's spirit on that person. And then they would have the Lord's Supper. Now, in the earliest, earliest days of the church, of course, none of this was written out. There weren't any rules about it. And it was done in different ways. And throughout uh, the early history, things evolved, and it really evolved more pragmatically than theologically. Things were done in different ways just because it it was impractical to do it the way someone else did it. So we're going to make it fit our place and our time. And so sometimes, so the the practice of infant baptism came into uh, being, and uh, but it wasn't always possible to have a bishop do the laying on of hands. They couldn't just have an elder do that. They had to have a bishop. They started to have some rules. And so they would have to wait. And so confirmation then became separated, something that happened maybe much later. And and then sometimes uh, the celebration of the first communion would happen before confirmation. So there was never a rigid practice in the early church, 
But then as things evolved, you know how it went. It just got more, uh, more rules and so forth. And then by the fifth century, there's a, a, a guy named Faustus of Reitz. Never heard of him, but he, he preached a sermon about confirmation. And this is how he explained it. This was in the fifth century. He said that as regards innocence, baptism is complete. But as regards grace, there is in confirmation an increase. Baptism suffices for those who were about to die because people were very concerned about you know, a high infant mortality rate and they wanted to make sure people were baptized. And so baptism is good for people who, are, who may die, but uh, if confirmation is, ne is the necessary equipment for those who will live a long life of struggle in this world. In baptism, we are reborn, but after baptism, we are confirmed for the struggle. In baptism, we are washed, but after baptism, we are strengthened. So you see this relationship and how the, the idea of confirmation evolved as connected to baptism, but as a way of uh, uh, following up with uh, kind of a reboot, you could say, a reaffirmation. Now, uh, it, over time, and maybe you experienced some of this, there were different practices that became a part of confirmation. There was, of, of course, a period of instruction, um, and many of you had to go through that. And then there were these things called the scrutinies. The scrutinies were these questions that you had to ask in front of the church. So uh, in a little bit, we're going to ask our confirmands to come up and line up in front, but we're not going to ask them any questions, okay? We're not going to put them on the spot, but that's what they used to do. And, uh, and they, they even had exorcisms. In some places, they would have an exorcism, right? And then they would, they would have another deal where they would meet them at the door of the church. So it was symbolically welcoming them into the church. And they would sprinkle salt on them as another image of the spirit in their lives. All these different practices uh, in confirmation over history. Calvin was not real big on, Cal on confirmation. He, he thought it kind of undermined the importance of baptism. And he felt like, you know, if you're baptized, that should be good enough. Uh, so, you know, he, he wasn't real big on that, but, but the, the main point that I want you to uh, understand about this is it was always about a time of personal commitment. That up until the point of confirmation, uh, your faith in a sense has been um, absorbed or imposed. Uh, it's something you did because you were told to, because you were brought there. And now at this point, it's a matter of personal decision. It's a matter of uh, you having a little more freedom in your life, and now you decide what you want. You decide what direction you're going. Now it's impossible, we know, to schedule a Kairos moment in a person's life. It's impossible to, to say, you know, Evan, you need to decide right now, and you need to have some clarity about that, and you need to feel strong about that. I mean, how, how can you just say, okay, on, this is the date we're scheduling it, and so we, that's got to happen? 
That's not fair. That's not how human beings are. That's how the, the Spirit of God works. So the best that we can do is follow the church's tradition of offering a special instruction for our young folk at a time in which they are developmentally ready to begin to wrestle with some of the questions of life and faith and to think more critically for themselves. So, you know, I've asked a few people, uh, in, not only in this church, but in other places, what do you remember about your confirmation, if you were confirmed? And most responses are like, uh, not much, don't remember too much, just remember I had to get up and go to a class. Uh, did it mean a lot to you? Well, no, not really, not a whole lot. And so, I don't know how this will feel to you today, you nine people. Uh, we, but we, we know that there is something larger at work in your life. You're a part of families that are probably sitting with you right now. You're a part of this larger church, and you're a part of the past, present, and future of Christ's work in the world. And so it may or may not mean a lot to you. You may feel something you may not but the truth is, today is just a beginning, after all. It's a launching period. It's not an end, as Pastor Brian said in his children's message. It's about a, a sprout that breaks the surface of the soil and begins to grow. And so today is, is that beginning point. It's not an end. Today you affirm your faith as you understand it today may be incomplete, it may be provisional, it may still feel like it doesn't altogether fit completely the way you want it. In many of the faith statements that we heard this morning, and they were wonderful faith statements that we heard at breakfast earlier today, and we heard uh, several of them expressed questioning about why? Why does this happen? Why does God allow that happen? Why is there bad experiences? Why did I get hurt? Why does why does there this kind of pain? And where is God in 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 the working out of all of this? Those are just some of the questions that you have now. And believe me, if you look around, we all do. That's not something that you just finish or that it's not just a stage that's a, I encourage you to keep asking questions and keep seeking uh, throughout your life that's that's healthy uh, for for all of you but so whatever wherever you are at now you are affirming who you are in your faith now you still have a long way to go but the other thing that is happening here is we, this congregation, are affirming you. We are affirming that we see you as beloved children of God, that you are gifted, marvelously diverse in your gifts, uh, and we don't know how they'll all be used. In talking to many of you, I know that just, just looking ahead to next school year, is enough to, to keep your focus. Like, where am I going to go to school? What kind of program am I going to be in? How hard of classes do I need to take? Where is that going to lead me in another year and a half? 
you know just just these questions about trying to map out your future through high school seems like a lot of anxiety and pressure but so we don't we're not asking you to know how or where God will lead you in the use of all of your gifts but we want to tell you that we know that you are beloved by God and that you are marvelously gifted and that whatever you are given in terms of your belovedness and gifts are meant to be used not for your own success, not to build up your own status or achievement, but to build up this body of Christ or to, for the health of the vine, for the blessing of the world. So now what? Now what? After confirmation, after this day is over, what next? Jesus says, remain in me or abide in me. And what he really means is, stay in touch with how much God loves you. Stay in touch with that love for you. And think of Jesus as the model for what love really is. In Jesus, we see a self-emptying love, not a self-seeking love. There's a huge difference between the kind of love that floats around middle school or high school or the rest of the world, really, and the love that God uh, has offered us in, in Jesus Christ. So all of us will need reconfirming. All of us, from the balcony all the way up here, we're all going to need times, we do need times, when we reconfirm our faith. This is not the end. And so we need to mirror the love of God for each other. That's what it means to remain in God's love, is be a mirror of God's love for each other. Remind each other how much you are valued by the one that made you. You see, we really need a pack. And although when we sing with Josh, Josh's leadership, we may we hopefully sound better than howling wolves, right? But however we imagine that sense of connection, vine, body, pack of wolves, let us remain in the love that holds us together and calls us to grow forward from here. Amen.